Hello and welcome to Demimond Paranormal. As always, I'm your host, Tori, and I want to personally welcome you, you guys, to a brand new episode of Demimond Paranormal. In this episode, you we will be going over the Salem Witch Trials, which is a trial that will live down in history and in infamy, if you will, as one of the most heinous acts that was probably ever acted out in America. Now, the Salem Witch Trials began in the spring of 1692, March 1st. This all began after a group of young girls in the Salem village claimed to have been possessed by the devil, and they had accused several women locally of witchcraft, which caused a wave of hysteria that hit the colonial Puritan Salem town of Massachusetts. So join me tonight, y'all, as we dive in into the history and the origins of the Salem Witch Trials. We also are going to be going over, you know, key people that played a part in the Salem Witch Trials. Now, this includes Abigail Williams. This includes Rebecca Nurse. This includes John Proctor, Giles Corey, and so on and so forth. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode tonight as I enjoyed, you know, doing all the research for it as I always do. So without any further ado, let's get started. The trials began in the spring of 1692 after a group of young girls claimed to have been possessed by the devil. They had accused several local women of witchcraft. Then, boom, a wave of hysteria hit the colonial Massachusetts like a tidal wave. And during this, a special court was convened to Salem to hear the cases of the accused witches. 
one of the first accused women was by the name of Bridget Bishop. She was tried and convicted. She was hung on June 18, 1692. But over the course of the trials, 18 more people followed her to Salem's Gallow Hill. More than 150 men, women, and children were accused of witchcraft during the trials. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, the dirt and bone of this event in history, let me ask you guys something. Have you guys ever seen the movie The Witch? It came out in 2015. And in a nutshell, what it was about, it was, it took place in, I think, the 1600s as well, in a New England state somewhere. And it was about a family who had just, you know, came over from England, but the family, for some reason, had been excommunicated. Seemingly something that the father had done that just made the court extremely angry. And, you know, they get excommunicated from their village and they have to move out. And they're forced to live on a patch of land right next to this vast forest. And that's where seemingly a witch lives. And if you guys have never seen that movie, I suggest you watch it because it's really good. I may watch it tonight. I used to watch it all the time. But if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to give too much away. I'm just going to give like a kind of a vague nutshell type of synopsis of it. But let's get into the history, shall we? So it all began really in January of 1692, when a nine-year-old girl named Elizabeth Betty Paris and an 11-year-old Abigail Williams. Now, Betty was the daughter of Reverend Samuel Paris, and Abigail was Samuel Paris's niece, who was staying with them at the time. She was staying in their house. So, when the young girls began having violent fits, and, you know, this included contortions and uncontrollable outbursts of screaming, a local doctor by the name of William Griggs, he diagnosed them, he diagnosed this affliction as bewitchment. Soon after, other girls in the village started having the same exact symptoms. This included Anne Putnam Jr., Mercy Lewis, and Mary Warren. It wasn't until late February that an arrest warrant was issued for the Paris' Caribbean slave, Tichuba along with two other women who were homeless. One was a beggar named Sarah Good, and Sarah Good wasn't exactly liked among the community. She was a beggar, you know, she would always come to your door 
and asked for food and goods and stuff, so she wasn't regarded in the highest among the community. And the other lady was an elderly poor woman by the name of Sarah Osborne. The girls had accused them of witchcraft and bewitchment, and the two women who were accused were brought to the they were brought to the magistrates, who were Jonathan Corwin, Jonathan Haythorn, and they questioned them while their accusers were in the room with them. The accusers, who which were the young girls that we mentioned before, displayed a grand performance of spasms and contortions, screaming and writhing. So it was quite the spectacle. Now, both Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne denied their guilt, but it was Tituba who confessed to witchcraft. And it was thought that she confessed to witchcraft, you know, to ex escape a certain fate, and I believe all of you can guess what that fate would be. She acted as an informer, claiming that there were more than there were more than one witch in the area. There were other witches acting alongside her against the Puritans with the help from the devil. As more hysteria spread all around Massachusetts, not just Salem, a number of people were accused, including Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse, even though they were both regarded as upstanding members of the community. And even the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good was accused as being a witch. So, like Tichuba, the accused witches began to name other witches, and they, and, and they confessed to witchcraft. Now, I just want to point out, y'all, that if you confess to witchcraft, you could be, your, your life would be spared, basically. You would be spared from the gallows. They would not put you to death. And that's why they, you know, just admitted it. You know, you know what, I am a witch, but you know who else is a witch? Goody Proctor, or, you know, just for an example, that's what I said. That, But that's basically what they were doing. And this is basically just hearsay. There's no actual proof that anybody's a witch. They're just being blindly led by this group of girls. And they disbelieve anything. So. The court's judges were Haythorne, CML Sewell, and William Slaughton. And the very first conviction happened on June 2nd, and she was hanged eight days later. In July, five people would be hung, and in August, five more people would be hung. Now, these were people who did not confess to witchcraft, even though they were found to be guilty. And we're going to get into what could be evidence of your guilt in just a minute. But I just want to 
you know, build a picture of you for you guys, the listeners, of how ridiculous these trials were. We're going to get into what is spectral evidence. Now, as I was saying before, in August, five more people were put to death on Gallows Hill, and eight more people were hung in September. Also, seven other witches had died in prison. Now, in this prison, you had to pay to be in prison, but the prison cells were absolutely atrocious. They were filthy, they were unsanitary. If you were sick or elderly, you were basically doomed to almost or just plain out die in the prison before your trial even began. So let me begin with one of the first people who was put to death. And that was Giles Corey, who was pressed to death after refusing to enter a plea about his arraignment. He refused to confess to witchcraft. He refused to say whether he was a witch or not, basically. Giles Corey was an English-born farmer who was born in August of 1611. He was actually killed when he refused to plead guilty or not guilty, when he was accused of play, of practicing witchcraft with his wife during the Salem witch trials, who was Martha Corey. As an attempt to force him to enter a plea, he was subjected to being pressed with large stones weighed on his chest. After three days of torture, Giles Corey died. He is buried in the Howard Street Cemetery in an unmarked grave, in an unknown grave. He, he died at the age of 81 on September 19, 1692. According to some resources, Giles Corey's last words could have been simply more weight, as the crucible testifies, or it could have been more rocks. Another source said that it could have been, Damn you, I, cor I curse you and Salem. Now, this brings us to Martha Corey, who was convicted of witchcraft on September 9th, 1692. She was hanged on the 22nd of September, and she was the last woman to be hung in Salem. The court in the community was surprised to see that Martha Corey had been 
convicted on witchcraft. Or actually it was the public. Because she was known for her piety and her dedication to the church. She was outspoken on her stance about these Salem witch trials. As she didn't believe in witches and warlocks. She even, during her trial, which was in front of her accusers, the group of girls that we mentioned before, asked the judges not to believe the young girls, while they mocked her movements and went into hysterics. Mercy Lewis, one of the accusers, cried out in the middle of the testimony, There's a man whispering in her ear! And John Haythorne asked if that man was Satan. And it was Anne Putnam who cried out that there was a yellow bird suckling on Martha's hand. And that, my friends, was enough to convince the jury of her guilt. Just that alone. Could you imagine hearing that in court? And a bunch of young girls, you know, ranging from 9 to 11, saying, Oh, there's a man, like, I'm sorry, I just can't believe that that actually adult went through with hanging someone because somebody said that Satan is whispering in her ear. Mm-mm. Now, Giles Corey himself defended his wife during this time of the accusations, even though he himself was accused of being a warlock. Martha Corey, sadly, was executed on the 19th of September at the age of 72. That brings us to our next victim, our next falsely accused witch, Rebecca Nurse. Rebecca Nurse was born on the 13th of February in 1621 in England. She was the wife of Francis Nurse, and she had several children and grandchildren. She was well respected in the community, and she was tried in the spring and summer of 1692 of witchcraft she was executed on july 19th her married sisters who included now you may have heard of these people mary town esty and sarah cloyce were also accused of witchcraft although mary was convicted and executed sarah survived the trials now, a public outcry was heard when Rebecca Nurse was accused by Edward and John Putnam. Rebecca was living as a very frail 71-year-old invalid in 
the community. She said in her defense, and I quote her when I say, I am innocent as a child unborn, but surely what sin hath God found out in the unrepented, of that he should lay such affliction on me in my old age. During her trial, many members of the community testified in her defense, and also some family members did testify. During the trial of the course, the afflicted, the group of girls, as I, as I should say, would go into fits and spasms and claim that the old Mrs. Nurse was tormenting them. Spectral evidence was used to show that Salem had been that oh sorry y'all I couldn't read my own handwriting now let me restart spectral evidence had was used to show that Satan had been afflicting other members in the community at the behest of the accused aka the witches in response to their protests Rebecca said I have nobody to look up to but God At the end of this trial, she was ruled not guilty due to public outcry, but sadly, due to the renewed fits and spasms from the afflicted, and that's in quotation marks, so aka the group of girls who were accusing her of being a witch, the judges reviewed her case with the jury. The jury asked her a question about a remark that she had made earlier regarding deliverance Hobbes who was also accused of witchcraft who, and also who was of her company, implying that they had both signed a pact with the devil. Sadly, though, Rebecca was old and she was hard of hearing and the question and so she heard the question wrong and this led to the jury changing the verdict and they sentenced her to death on July 19th 1692 despite the pleading done by her family after she was hung her buried her body was buried in a shallow grave near the execution spot. All that were hanged were considered to be unfit for a Christian burial in a churchyard. And according to oral tradition, Rebecca's family dug her up. They dug up her body after dark and interred it into family-owned property. In 1706, her accuser, Anne Putnam Jr., now this is the child, 
and not the mother of Ann Putnam. She had actually gave public confession in church of her guilt and remorse and remorse for her role in the hanging of Rebecca and her sisters. The family of Rebecca nurse did actually forgive Anne, Anne Putnam Jr. and they had reconciled, but they never ever forgave Reverend Sam Samuel Paris, who they say personally blamed her. They personally blamed him for the loss of their mother. This was the children of Rebecca Nurse, who had blamed Samuel Paris for the death of their mother. And in 1711, Rebecca's children were granted compensation for the wrongful death of their mother. And in 1712, the town of Salem reversed the verdict of excommunication, which had been passed down onto her. Now that brings us on to John Proctor, who was born on the thirtieth of the thirtieth of March in sixteen thirty-two in Suffolk, England. He was accused of witchcraft by Abigail Williams mainly. He was also accused of witchcraft by Mary Walcraft, Mary Walcott, and her and his former servant, who was Mary Warren. These allegations were originally against John Proctor's wife, who was Elizabeth, but when John began to vocally express his disbelief in the accusers, then the fingers started to point at him, and her, and Elizabeth. It was Mary Walcott who stated that she and Mary Warren had experienced John trying to choke them both, but Mary Warren also stated that she had been beaten for putting up a prayer bill before being forced to touch the devil's book. During his trial, he continued to challenge the veracity of spectral evidence and the validity of the court. Now, this led to the petition that was signed by 32 neighbors in his favor. They believed that John lived a Christian life in his family and was ever ready to help such they stood in need. When both Elizabeth and John were in jail, the sheriff seized all of the household properties. The cattle were sold off cheaply, or they were slaughtered, or even they were shipped off to the West Indies. The beer bottles, the beer barrels, I should say, that John Proctor had because he ran a tavern and he ran a farm. He owned it. He ran the tavern with his wife and children. Now, the beer barrels in that tavern were all emptied out. 
and the children were left with no means of support. Now, John Proctor was hung on the 19th of August in 1692, but Elizabeth, who was pregnant at the time of the trials, was given reprieve until she had given birth, which had came when the trials ended. So, luckily, she did survive the trials, the Salem Witch Trials. So let me tell you, let me tell you guys a little bit of the accusers in the Salem Witch Trials. The first accuser that I'm going to tell you guys about is Mary Warren, the maidservant for the Proctors. She was a maidservant to the Proctor house. She was born in either 1679 or 16, oh no, I'm sorry, 1674 or 1675. She was the maidservant for the Proctor house under John and Elizabeth. She was the oldest of all the accusers at 18 years of age. Now, in early March of 1692, she began having fits and claimed that she saw the ghost of Giles Corey. John Proctor said that she was just seeing his shadow and put her to work at the spinning wheel, threatening to beat her if she had any more episodes or pretend fits. And for a good while, she did not have any episodes or any, you know, fits of any kind. She didn't have any more sightings of Giles Corey's ghost. But soon, but not too soon, just a little while later, she started having fits again. And she was put hard to work at the Proctor house. She was also told that if she, if she were to have any more fits near fire or water, she would not be saved when her seizures did stop, she posted a note at the meeting house on one Sabbath, or a Sunday, to request prayers of thanks, you know, to say thanks for making my seizures stopped. Mary herself claimed that John Proctor had woke her to torment her about the posting of the note. On the third day of April, Reverend Samuel Paris read the note aloud to the members of the church, and after that, Mary was questioned by the members of the church, and the answers to these questions that she, that she gave the members, that led the people to believe that she may have been lying, and the accusers, the group of girls who were accusing all kinds of people all over Salem, were lying. Now, the other girls, the group of girls that included Abigail Williams and Elizabeth Paris, they became angry with Mary after she had even told the High Court 
that all of the girls had lied about seeing the devil. They turned against her and accused her of witchcraft. Then she was formally charged on April 18th of 1692, and under questioning, she continued to have fits, and she confessed to witchcraft, but she also accused but she also continued to accuse various people of witchcraft, including the proctors. Anne Putnam, born on 1679 on the 18th of October. She was responsible for 62 accusations of various people of witchcraft, which led to the executions of 20 people. She died in 1716 and is buried in an unmarked grave with her parents in Danvers, Massachusetts. So, how did the... Salem witch trials come to an end. Well, trials continued with dwindling intensity until the early, until the year 1693, and by May of that year, the governor Phipps, governor Phipps, the governor of Salem, pardoned the accused and released all that were in prison on witchcraft charges. Governor Phipps also dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer in October and mandated all that in demand and mandated that its successor regarded spectral evidence he mandated that its successor Disregard spectral evidence. It was Minister Cotton Mather who warned the dubious, he warned of the dubious value of spectral evidence. And let me tell you what spectral evidence was. Spectral evidence could include dreams and visions of people. His warning went unheeded, even though he was very well respected. Cotton's father, Increase Mather, president of Harvard, joined his son in urging that the standards of evidence of witchcraft must be equal to those for any other crime. The public support of the Salem witch trials were waning considerably during that time as well.
So this is a list of the executed victims of the Salem witch trials. We start with the very first woman who was executed, which is Bridget Bishop. And then we're just going to go down the line, y'all. Bridget Bishop. Bridget Bishop. Sorry, y'all. I'm getting tongue-tied again. Rebecca Nurse. Sarah Good. Elizabeth Howe. Susanna Martin. Sarah Wilds. George Barrows. George Jacobs Sr. Martha Carrier. John Proctor. John Willard. Martha Corey. Marytown Esty. Mary Parker. Alice Parker. Wilmot Reed, Margaret Scott, and Anne Pudiator, Samuel Wardwell, and Giles Corey. And to those who died in prison during the Salem witch trials, Anne Foster and Sarah Osborne. And for those of y'all who are wondering what happened to Tituba, well, she'd stayed in prison for a while when her slave owner, Reverend Samuel Paris, he did, he left her in jail because he, you know, refused to pay her jail bond. So she stayed in prison for a while until she was released. And after she was finally released from prison, I had resources that said that Samuel Paris had sold her to someone else. But also, y'all, I just want to get into something that I found particularly interesting. Now, remember how I mentioned Abigail Williams and her cousin, Elizabeth Paris? Well, as it turns out, they both dabbled a little bit in witchcraft. Alright, so just listen to this, if you didn't know about this already. Now, as I said before, Elizabeth Paris was nine years old when the witchcraft epidemic broke out in Salem. So she was just a tiny little babe. And she was a sweet girl. But she had difficulty facing these dark realities. A, pres a predestination and damnation that her father, Reverend Samuel preached, Reverend Samuel Paris had preached to her. Now, in the dark days, in the winter days of 1691, Elizabeth, or Betty, as she likes to be called, and her cousin Abigail would begin to undertake experiments of fortune-telling using a device known as a Venus glass. Now, a Venus glass consists of an egg white suspended in water in which one could see shapes and figures. The girls mainly focused on their future social status and significantly on the trade in which their husbands would be employed. These fortune-telling secrets were shared with other young girls in the area. On one occasion, the glass revealed the horrendous specter in a coffin.
Now, interestingly enough, Betty's affliction started in January, and she began to forget errands, and she was unable to concentrate, and she seemed wrapped in secret and preoccupation. She could not concentrate on prayer time, and she barked like a dog when her father would rebuke her. She screamed wildly when she heard the words, Our Father, in prayer, and she also once hurled a Bible across the room. After these episodes, she would sob distractedly and spoke of and she spoke of being damned. She seemed to see damnation as inevitable, perhaps because of her practicing of fortune-telling, which was, as we know, at least back in those days, was regarded as demonic activity, and in other religions, of course. Now, Reverend Samuel Paris believed that prayer could save his daughter from her odd behavior, but his efforts were ineffective. And nobody knows what exactly the Paris girl was experiencing, Betty and her other girlfriends were experiencing. But it had manifested itself in odd postures as foolish and ridiculous speech and distempers and fits. John Hale described the affliction that the girls suffered as by saying they looked like they were bitten and pinched by invisible agents. Their arms and backs and necks turned this way and that way, and then turned back again. So it was impossible for them to do it of themselves and beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease. Sometimes they were taking dumb, their mouths stopped, their throats choked, their throats choked, and their limbs racked and tormented. So as might move a heart stone to sympathize with them. And that is when the local physician, William Griggs, diagnosed Elizabeth Paris was being afflicted with the evil hand, which was commonly known as witchcraft. How about that, y'all? Isn't that interesting? I thought that was so fascinating. And, as we know, on the February 29th, 1692, 
under intense adult questioning the afflicted girls named sarah good sarah osborne and chichiba as their tormentors elizabeth paris betty paris testified at the trials that she was being tormented by spectral visions of these women during their trials betty would cry when she when the accused would she would cry when the accused moved her arms legs or head as if the accused were injuring her from across the room elizabeth paris was involved in the conviction on martha corey at martha corey's trial the afflicted girls all sat together and what martha corey did they all did they mocked her rather or they mimicked her if she shifted her feet so did they and also if she stamped their feet if she bit her lips they would all do the same they would yell they she had bitten their lips and they had even showed the magistrates that they bled from the supposed bite that martha cora had given them So, I just want to mention one more thing about Abigail Williams. Actually, I said Abigail Williams, which was interesting. That whole thing was more so about Betty, Elizabeth, whatever you want to call her. But we'll call her Betty because that's what she wanted to be called. But there was, you know, just a, just a bit of vague information about Abigail Williams even though she was the main accuser in the Salem witch trials. Interesting, though, I found out that after the trials had ended, she kind of just disappeared off the map, off the records of Salem Village. So maybe... Justice, justice had prevailed and she got what was coming for her or maybe she was smart enough to figure out a way out of that town because basically the people of Salem were tired of her shit Alright everybody and welcome to what I call aftershots, afterthoughts, <laughs> or aftershots, I mean, could hit you like an aftershot, but anyway, I just want to, you know, mention something that I read about while doing my research for tonight's episode, and I found out about this fungi that can be found in rye bread and other yeah, basically just rye bread. Now, it's a fungus that grows on rye and other related plants. And it produces alkaloids that can cause argotism in humans and other mammals who consume the grains contaminated with this fruiting structure.
So what does this have to do with the Salem witch trials? Well, Rye Argit can um is can, 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 contamination can produce symptoms that includes hallucinations and twitches, twitches and spasms, and also cardiovascular trouble and stillborn children. It causes severe convulsions, muscle spasms, delusions, sensations of crawling under something crawling under the skin, and in extreme cases, it can cause gangrene of the extremities. It can even it can even cause death. Oh, and also it can cause mental, you know, effects, including mania. It can also cause headaches, nausea, and vomiting as well. It can also precede central nervous system effects. Gastrointestinal, so gastrointestinal effects as well. So it's just something to consider when you think back. Now this was 1692. So, the food was probably not the safest to eat back in those days. So, it's very possible that somebody ate bad rye bread and they had a hallucination. They felt something crawling on their skin. They're having convulsions. They're having mania and headaches and nausea. I mean, it's, I gotta say, that's probably one of the most logical explanations of the Salem Witch Trials. I wouldn't completely disclude it. Even though I think I have read that it has been officially disregarded. But, I mean, who's to say that there wasn't some kid who ate some bad rye bread and, had a, and was, you know, drugged and thought they saw something and it scared the living daylights out of them? You just gotta wonder about that. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed doing the research for it. It's one of my favorite topics, you know, to talk about. And I thought, oh my god, what a perfect opportunity to talk about the Salem Witch Trials in the month of March.
So, I want to thank you guys so, so much for joining me for yet another episode of Demimond Paranormal Podcast. It was a real pleasure doing this episode for y'all, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It wasn't too jumbled or boring or missing what you feel was important information. I hope you liked it. I hope, you know, the music wasn't too annoying or distracting for you. I hope you enjoyed that aspect of it, too. And hopefully I'll see you guys, my listeners, for a new episode next week. We have new episodes every Friday. Demimond Paranormal. Also, you can find us on Facebook, Demimond Paranormal. We are a private group. And we're just a little small paranormal community on Facebook. And if you just search us into the search bar... You'll find us, and we'll be glad to have you guys join our little paranormal family. So far, you guys, I have no clue what the topic will be for next week, but I'll make sure I announce it, and I hope you guys join me for next time. So, without any further ado, I wish you guys a good night slash day, morning, evening, wherever you are in the world. I want to thank all of our international listeners for joining us for this weekly episode. It's really honoring to have people from all around the world listen to your podcast. Alright, so, without rambling i just want i'm just gonna sign off for you guys i'm gonna let you go but before i do make sure you guys stay safe make good choices and be kind to one another and sweet dreams and i will see you soon good night